Hello and welcome to another episode of Me and Mr. 80s. I am Nick the Me Part, and there's Mr. 80s. Hi there, everybody. It's Daryl. Glad to have you back with us. I, uh... I love the theme song. We've had the theme song for, for quite a while now, but I haven't commented on it. I really love the the Michael Bolton kind of soul provider soul at the, provider. The, the the big ending, you know? <laughs> that's that's very cool. Do you want to tell the people what we're talking about, or should I tell the people what we're talking you, about? You are the man. Today we're talking about underrated movies. I've tried to confine all of mine to the 80s since I am Mr. 80s. Nick, I'm not sure what Nick is going to talk about. Uh, so this this should be interesting because at least as far as the 80s go, there are a lot of... I did all mine in the 80s also. Awesome. So it's just going to be... Uh, this is all 80s. Orgy of 80s underrated films. So kick back. Hopefully we'll talk about some of your favorites and... Uh, but we're just going to get rolling. I'm excited to see what you have picked out. We've not talked about this. so. <laughs> well, I'll start with the first one on my list, which I happen to be looking at a list that have them alphabetically. So some of these are quite alphabetical in their list. So I'll start with the first A, Action Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> this starred Carl Weathers and the unbelievably hot vanity before she found god <laughs> thank god she was still a nasty girl <laughs> she was a prince protege she could um sing i guess but and not you know, not really <laughs> but it didn't well, matter well enough uh <laughs> but yeah um it was a um an 80s action flick he was a uh uh, a cop. She was a druggie. They were trying to solve a crime, and uh, it had a, a decent soundtrack with like uh, the Pointer Sisters and stuff on there. Um, and I, I don't know that anyone. I, I don't know that it made a big splash. I didn't. I don't think I actually saw this, even though I went to a zillion movies in the eighties. I don't think I saw this until it actually came on TV or home video or something. Would you believe I have never seen this movie? Oh, dude. How is it that you've never sat me down and made me watch it? I don't know, because I so, actually own it on video cassette. A lot, you, don't, you don't have the DVD? Yeah, I, I, haven't, I think I've seen it on, like, uh, you know, um, digital, like Netflix or something. But, so you need to tell me, because with a lot of these movies that, you know, were lesser known, but still big studio productions, and all of mine are the same thing. They're big studio productions, because mm-hmm. that's what we were watching in the 80s. They just are not as well remembered. Um, there's something about them that, that you relate to, or there's something about how it makes you feel as you're watching it, or it reminds you of something. I mean, there's always some kind of a component. There's some reason that you identify with this movie. So what is it? Vanity. <laughs> <laughs> so you've ever worn pants. While you've watched this film, <laughs> it, it to me it's a very uh, it, it is all around a classic '80s movie. I mean, it is it is um, over the top and kind of you know cheesy. With he was trying to be like a one liner. I read something that said this was supposed to be a trilogy, and oh. they never released the other two because this one tanked. And uh, Vanity is not a really good actress since she obviously wasn't a really good singer either. But <laughs> I, I assume maybe Prince bought you know the rights to to make this happen or something you know somewhere in the background. So um, you said one liner. This is supposed to be like his Arnold movie with you know your luggage. I mean, he's supposed to have like little catchphrases or something. Yeah, I, I wow, I, I haven't I haven't seen it recently. Even though I do, ha- I'm pretty sure I have it on my Netflix queue. Um, it's 
it was something like, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to draw his one-liner cue thing, but it was something very, you know, having to do with his Action Jackson name, and it was, it was cheesy, but it was really fun, happy. You know, it was like the '80s. You know, I'm Action Jackson. Want to see what I'm paxing in my pants? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of stuff. No, it was <laughs> not quite. It, there was no overt sexuality or anything. I wow. mean, it, I mean, he, there was kind of that you know weird chemistry going on between him and the drug addict vanity in this thing. You know, she was a she was like a, a drug addict who was helping him solve the thing, and but she was was this R rated or was this PG thirteen? I mean, basically, what I'm trying to get at is that you did you get your payoff? Oh, there was no. Did you get your oh, payoff for vanity? Oh no. Oh, okay. No, I don't think I don't think there was anything really. So a decade and a half of frustration. <laughs> it was good though. I mean, it, to me, it was it was it was good, happy, fun action movie. You know, the kind of thing where you can just sort of sit down and enjoy it. It's not you know you can maybe switch your brain off a little bit, but but it was really fun. I think I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that it's. Craig, a, Craig T. Nelson was the bad guy. Ha! Craig. Craig. I think I know what you're talking about with uh, with 80s movies, with 80s action movies, because that, that's become kind of like a, a pejorative. But, you know, it, The Expendables with uh, Sly and everybody, mm-hmm. that was supposed to be a big throwback to 80s action films, which and I saw that and didn't really think that it was. But I know exactly what you're talking about. In fact, this reminded me of a movie that I did not put on my list, but I just added it, because as you're talking about it, it's reminding me of Commando. Oh, yeah. With Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I didn't put it on my official list is because it's got Arnold in it. And does Arnold really need anybody, you know, <laughs> trumpeting some of his lesser known efforts? But Commando is my favorite Schwarzenegger movie ever. And it also is that kind of classic, you know, dumb action movie. It's, you know, Radon <laughs> Chong plays the vanity role. Oh, yeah. In that movie. It's full of the uh, Arnold one liners. You know, remember when I said I was going to kill you last? I lied. And, and, and things like that. Uh, so, yeah. As a sci fi geek, my, my favorite of his was uh, Total Recall. But yeah, they're all, I mean, you know, gosh, I haven't seen any of his, you know, Running Man, Commando. Uh, there's a lot of those I haven't seen in a long time, but they were all good. And he played a uh, he played a dad to a young Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano. And, I mean, she was very, very young. She was probably under, oh. t- under 10 in this movie. And that was something he hadn't really done at that point. So it added an extra little dimension to the character to where he's trying to protect his daughter. Uh not in that sort of Sally Field lifetime, not without my daughter way, but it just it added that extra little bit of humanity because up until that point, you know, he was pretty much better known for you know playing the cyborg. He had another uh, girl who played his daughter who went on to become a big star was, uh, well, okay, maybe not big star, but the girl from Dollhouse. Um, wow, gosh, I can't think of her name now. Um, Eliza Dushku. She played his daughter in True Lies. Oh, all hmm. right. I wonder if he had any other screen actor daughters who went on to big things. I do that now. Obviously, some, some casting dresser has a pretty good uh, eye for talent. But it's the uh, commando. It's the exact same kind of a thing where you don't have to use your brain a whole lot. But, you know, sometimes that's not bad. Not everything oh, has to be gone with the my dinner with Andre. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> My dinner with Andre. <laughs> 
Sometimes you pull. Yes, okay. Sometimes you can just <laughs> kick back and have some fun. What else you got? Um, oh, Adventures in Babysitting. Another one I have never seen and I've always wanted Dude. to. Well, if you uh, apparently I just was at the uh, theater seeing uh, Harold and Kumar in 3D, which was fucking hilarious. Um, they had a promo for The Sitter with Jonah Hill, who apparently is going to star in every movie for the next, I don't know, year or so. Is this skinny Jonah Hill or is he still fat Jonah Hill? Um, I think that one he's fat, although the one right before it, he was skinny. Ah. Yeah, two two Jonah Hill movies back-to-back in 10 seconds. Really, that's... Space them out. Come on, folks. Um, but the the movie called The Sitter, I'm watching this going, wow, that looks exactly <laughs> like someone's trying to recreate the plot of Adventures in Babysitting. So I don't know if that was their intention, although I would appreciate it more if they were going to do a remake of it to just, you know, update it and call it something else. <laughs> so is he playing the Elizabeth Shoe role? Yes, he is. Interesting. Yeah, he is in. He is apparently down on his luck loser. He was told to get a job. Uh, someone, I think his mom says, you know, do babysitting. And so he babysits these three kids. A girl calls up and says, um, you need to come to this party. And he's like, I'm busy. She's like, we're going to have sex. I'll be right there. So then he drags the kids on an all-night adventure to try and get to the party so that he can have sex. So, not exactly the same plot. Was a little shoe trying to have sex? Because she was like... No, not she at was all. Like a, well, like a, she, was a, she was a teenage, age-appropriate sitter in this movie, right? Right. And, Although and I, as something some, happens in Bedlam ensues. Right. She had to get to the city. Um, boy, I can't remember what she had to get to the city for. I think it was to... Something about to... Drink scotch Something about her boyfriend or something. Like, maybe to to get to her boyfriend or to... Something like that. So there was, you know, at least a significant other involved or something, and then she takes these uh, kids on the on the adventure of their life, and it all happens in one night, and uh, they have all sorts of adventures, and ending up with like uh, getting on stage and singing blues with uh, Albert Brook, no, Albert, no, Brooks. Albert Brook, Albert Collins, <laughs> Albert King, Albert Al- Collins, Albert Collins. See, these are because there are there are uh, a lot of uh, of movies that I have not seen, and Mrs. Eighties though is not really a big fan of watching old movies. She's oh. more a fan of new releases, and so these things like Action Jackson, Adventures in Babysitting, it's very hard for me to actually carve out the time to uh, to get caught up. But that is that's another one that is it's on my list of, of flicks that I want to see before I die. Well, it is a great fun family comedy. And I, another one of those things where I'm doing research on this, and someone pointed out that in the uh, box cover and poster, she's in a dress uh, on this adventure. That Elizabeth Shue is in a dress, and she's actually never in a dress in the movie. Hmm. <laughs> I was just like, hey, that's true. I never noticed that. you know. <laughs> and I worked in a video store for a while where I see that thing all the time and still never noticed that. My number one underrated 80s movie, this probably won't be a surprise to you, is Real Genius. <laughs> I love that movie. And this movie starred a young Val Kilmer and nobody else. I mean, there's nobody else that you would remember. Oh. Uh, the villain, like the, the, the student villain in it, was actually the same guy that played the, uh, the villain in Bachelor Party. 
But other mm-hmm. than that, there's a lot. I mean, it's very. And, and the uh, the professor bad guy was the irritating reporter in Die Hard. He was also in Howard the Duck. <laughs> oh my God, Howard the Duck, not an underrated movie. It <laughs> deserves to just be where it is. But real genius, man. <laughs> I, I tell you, there's just something about this flick. It captivated me. Not only is it a, it's a well made film, and it's a thoughtful yes. film, and it's great one liners. It's yes. It's it's not a teenage sex comedy by any stretch of the imagination. It's definitely a cut above of your your regular kind of teenage movie. It was a PG film, mm-hmm. uh, but yes, uh, as far as quotable lines and stuff, oh, yeah. it is. It's one of those flicks that is chock full of quotable lines. Uh, the plot it takes place at a fictional college campus that apparently was patterned very closely after Caltech. Oh, well, that makes sense. And apparently people, actual graduates of Caltech, uh, were involved in the production of this film. And I don't know anything about Caltech, but apparently it's got this very uh, insular kind of geeky, quasi-snobby culture to it. And so there's a lot of things that happen to people when they leave Caltech where they're supposed to kind of bring in these little in-jokes and stuff. And so I found out much later that there's actually a lot of in-jokes, Caltech in-jokes, that are in Real Genius. Mm, Did I know that? And uh, apparently uh, there are different residential houses on the Caltech campus. And there's one house called Dabney. And uh, there was some legend about some dish they served at the cafeteria that nobody liked. And somebody EI for Dabney eats it into your life. Like there's this rumor that one of the astronauts like put DEI on the moon. <laughs> well, the makers of Real Genius, they have uh, one of the underwriters for the professor's PBS program is Darlington Electronic Instruments, <laughs> DEI. And then when they're delivering the popcorn to his house, they're doing it in a delivery truck that. Uh, says Drain Experts, Inc. <laughs> so there's the, the DEI thing there. But what I really wanted to talk about with this movie is, you remember, maybe you remember like I do, there was a glut of teen-focused comedies based around science that were all coming out at around the same time. And oh, so yeah. you kept seeing the TV ads for Real Genius, Weird Science, mm-hmm. and My yes. Science Project. Yep. And I remember this very vividly as a kid the barrage of these TV commercials. And I sometimes I wonder if Real Genius sort of you know suffered from that. So I did a little research online. Not only these movies, these three movies, teen-focused science movies, came out in the same week. Oh, that's Bad Planet. <laughs> <laughs> and so obviously, you know, Weird Science has got the... The, the John Hughes credibility. It's got Anthony Michael Hall in it. It's got the promise of Kelly LeBrock in it. So I think that drew some audience away. And so I think that might be why Real Genius is not better remembered. Yeah. I, I saw all three of those movies in the movie theater. And I thought they were all three, you know, good movies. Uh, I think uh, My Science Project was, you know, third on the list of these two. And I... I would put Real Genius first and Weird Science second. But I think more people, 
a lot more people remember Weird Science. I mean, it ended up being, you know, the TV show on USA and, right. you know, the the Weird Science song helped a lot. There was no song for Real Genius <laughs> to help people remember it. So I think it kind of, you know, may have, you know, done a little something at the beginning, but over time it's faded because there wasn't, you know, I think it's that's more of a cult classic now. I would I would completely agree. And uh, even though Weird Science, it's one of my favorite John Hughes movies. In fact, it's probably just second behind The Breakfast Club. Uh, I do. I like Real Genius better, much better than Weird Science, even though I like Weird Science a lot. In fact, it's one of those movies that when I was a kid and it was on cable, uh, we had just moved to a town where I didn't know anybody and it was the summertime and I had nothing to do. And we, we had cable TV for the very first time. <laughs> and Real Genius was playing on cable that month. And the, the guide that the cable company sent you actually had a calendar. <laughs> I literally had like a, a blank calendar you could fill in. I literally went through the guide and wrote down every single time that Real Genius was on that month. And I think I managed to catch all of them. Oh, there you go. Uh, so that's... I could go on and on, but... Just great a movie. Great, another, great movie. Another great 80s movie with Val Kilmer, Top Secret. Have you seen it? Yes. Okay, good. I thought oh. so. I just I just want to make sure. But, yeah. Yeah. That that I still own on DVD. But, yeah. Um, next one up for me. Oh. Dreamscape. Dennis Quaid? Yes. This was a, a well-done, uh, creepy movie. With uh, uh, special effects that were in the, uh, we're still in the uh, Ray Harryhausen, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, creature rather than computer effects. But the the story was an uh, was a good idea. Uh, Quaid was a psychic, or had psychic powers, so they enlisted him to be uh, a psychic warrior where he would enter people's dreams to try and uh, uh, manipulate them through their dreams. Obviously, he's the good guy in this. Somebody else in there was the bad guy. And then there was a plot where the president was coming in and who would win. It so was, basically Inception ripped it off. Um, Inception was more... Um, was definitely a lot deeper. This is a pretty much all-on-one surface. Do you know Dreamscape's permanent place in movie history? It has a mm. permanent place in movie history. I don't. It was the first film the MPAA gave the PG-13 rating to. It was not the first release. Red Dawn was the first one released with a PG-13, uh -huh. but Dreamscape was the first one to actually earn that rating. Now, see, I, I thought, now, you know, I thought Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was the first one that got that. That was one of the ones that prompted them to create the PG-13 uh, rating. That okay. and Gremlins were pretty much the two that that pushed the creation of the PG-13 rating. Hmm. All right. Very cool. Well, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's, it's creepy. I mean, you know, there's definitely, you know, some violence and uh, adult themes in there. So, okay. So it's a, a little intense. Yeah, I would say it's a little intense. It's you a little you intense, would not want an eight-year-old watching it. You know, it's so. not the kind of thing where you watch it and you go, oh, well, now I see why they had the... Well, I, I did shit my pants when watching it, but that was just for fun. 
<laughs> yes, very good. Uh, Kate Capshaw, is that the... Mrs. Spielberg? Yeah, she was in there. It's a good movie. Very good movie. But now the bitch doesn't have to work. <laughs> we kid the Spielbergs. <laughs> we love them. <laughs> yes. Uh, do you want to go again or you want me to go? No, go for it. I've got five or six of these things. So uh, This is one that I, I... This is the last Starfighter. Yeah, which was on my list too. Which I th- that's well, isn't that one of your mom's big favorites? Oh, my mom loves that. Yeah, uh, the last Starfighter uh, came out in '84. It also has a permanent place in movie history, which I did not realize. Yes, it, it actually is the the first movie that did have actual computer graphics in it. Well, that had used their entire computer graphics. I mean, uh, from what I read, it was the first one that did that did all their special effects on computer. I don't think that that can't be true. Because the, the here's the funny thing I, I I enjoyed this movie so much as a kid and then there was probably a fifteen twenty year period where I didn't see it and then I watched it again and and it was in those ensuing twenty years that I found out about this whole computer thing and it it went right over my head I didn't even notice back in the in the early days but now when you watch it it is the space flight sequences mm-hmm. and it looks completely like a video game it looks so fake I don't know <laughs> how it fooled me when I was a kid. So I think it's it's just those sequences where they're actually showing the space travel that used the computer animation. That's beside the point, though. I mean, it, it's not. That's not why it's on my list. It's just an interesting kind of a side note uh, that kind of ties into the fact that people think that Tron was computer animated when in fact it was not. It you know Tron, even though Tron came out two years before the last Starfighter, hmm. and uh, it didn't really have computer animation in it, even though it looked like it. But the last Starfighter is just a great story. It's a fun story. It's it's a perfect kids adventure movie. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, Absolutely. It's, it's about this uh, this young man who's uh, helping his family manage a trailer park in California, and he's kind of your typical uh, you know, can't play the reindeer games with the other kids because he's got adult responsibilities, and so his only release is going up at night and playing the the video game uh, called the Last Starfighter. And you know, this was back in an era. Where in addition to having video arcades, it was not unheard of to just have you know a video game in a convenience store or at the post office or you know just kind of anywhere, just randomly. Yeah. So it's totally plausible that this trailer park has this this video game, and it, what it, come to find out that aliens from a dying planet that are under attack have actually planted these video games all across the country because it's training people for combat and whoever gets the highest score they're going to recruit to help them save their planet and so this this kid ends up getting abducted and uh taken to this this other planet and all of a sudden finds himself involved in you know interstellar warfare and it's just a what a what a hoot just what a what a rip-roaring good time yes very very fun very you know and and Kind of one of those things where I think, I don't know how much before this, but I think a lot of times after it where you, you I see a lot of the, um, we recruited you and you're the last person, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, Even with the Matrix. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's a, a good story, really grips you. And I, I thought the effects were cheesy, but if you like video games, it looks like <laughs> a video game, so it's cool. Yeah. When I uh, was doing research on this and I was looking up Last Starfighter, there is a downloadable uh, computer game that some guy created that he modeled after 
the all the effects, the computer graphics from this uh, video game that's in the movie mm-hmm. to try and make something that you can actually play. So I haven't played with it yet, but I thought I loaded it up just to see what it looked like, and it did look like he just recreated the movie's graphics. That's really cool. Well, with your parents being big movie fans, did you end up seeing this a lot growing up because your mom liked it? Um, I, I, I remember seeing it uh, a couple of times, but I mean, it was one of those things where I knew more, you know, I, if we were there, we, we could watch it and something like that. But this is just, you know, one of those things where you just, you know, however many times you see it, it's, it's a classic enough that you can still enjoy it. See, I mean, it's got certain elements of almost like a Western, which I think kind of, you know, would put people off, but it's just got that kind of just great possibilities adventure it just it really is a it's a great family film absolutely it's I a mean, great it's movie for kids i mean if you're in your uh if you're in your 30s or 40s now and have got you know kids that can handle pg films this is one from your youth that you really should share with them because i think they'd get a kick out of it yes it's going to be a little dated <laughs> but you know if we could watch wizard of oz when we were kids they can watch the last starfighter with you absolutely um, I have, oh, uh, Escape from New York. Oh, yes. <laughs> John Carpenter. Yes. John yes. Carpenter. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoy him both. And um, when this thing came out, and I'm not sure exactly what year it came out. 81. I uh, I owned a uh, a TRS-80 computer mm. and, a, and a Atari 400. And I was so inspired by this game that I wanted to cry, try and create my own video game from it. But there weren't a lot of graphics in video games that long ago. <laughs> so it was going to be a word adventure like Zork. <laughs> so for all the people who are younger than the, <laughs> the 30s or 40s and go have no idea what... The, Google Zork. Google Google a movie. and I think you can actually download uh, Zork now and, and play it for free. And, and uh, try and wrap your mind around a game that has no graphics and has absolutely no way of telling you how to play it. You just fucking guess. Good luck. <laughs> Watch your brain melt, children. <laughs> this has been... Escape from New York has been one of your favorites for a long time. Oh, yeah. So tell me about it. Tell me why you like it. Um, it was really um, a good, like, dark... And the, the story is... Uh, New York has been, uh, the Manhattan has been cordoned off as a prison. Uh, the president is on his way to uh, go to some conference and save the whole world, and he uh, gets hijacked and crashed into New York and is now being held hostage. They have like 24 hours to get him out, or else the world will go into chaos. So they recruit, forcibly recruit Snake Pliskin, <laughs> the Kurt Russell character, to go in there. And uh, save the president and escape from New York. And don't they implant him with something that's going to like blow up in twenty four hours? Yep, they put him a, put a, a poison or something in him, so he has to have the uh, antidote in a certain he, amount. Of time. He's so badass that they're figuring that he might just be that like, he won't well, help. screw it. I'll just I'll find a way to you know survive because he's a man on the edge. Yes, <laughs> and uh, it's such a John Carpenter plot, though. Because Carpenter was, for a period of time, was so good at coming up with these very simple little hooks for stories that just pulled you in. Now, I haven't... uh, The 
I know that there is a sequel to The Thing out there, another John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. And uh, I love the original. I think uh, that was an excellent movie. I don't know why they needed to recreate it or anything. But this is one I hope they don't mess with. You know, this is just a good classic. You know, it has, uh, to me, it was just a really exciting, interesting story. I mean, you know, you really uh, have, you know, weird, seedy characters. You got Isaac um, Hayes. Isaac Hayes. And Ernest Borgnine on the same cast. Ernest Borgnine and uh, Adrian Barbeau. Does she get naked in that movie? I don't think so, no. I think that was in her sort of post-nudity phase. Yeah. Because for a while there, she was dropping her shirt for groceries. Still looked good, though. Um, <laughs> it was just a, a, a really wild adventure. And I could sort of, you know, uh, you know, really be taken away by the story and sort of see myself in, the, you know, uh, how it was directed. It was really, uh, it was really engaging and intense, but it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't overly graphic or overly violent. I mean, I, you know, I mean, hell, if this, what did you say, 81? 81. So I was nine <laughs> when I saw it, and it was still, you know, impressionable enough on me to make well, me want to try and, you know. And all John Carpenter movies from that early phase of, of his career were done on, uh, you know, very limited budgets. N- not all of them were as, you know, bare bones as Halloween because he was making a name for himself, but it's not like they were going to hand the guy, you know, huge, huge money. And what he was so good at was just really creating atmosphere, mood, a sense of place, a sense of expansiveness with a very low budget. I mean, you really, yeah. you really felt like Manhattan Island was a freaking prison. You felt like you were there. It was a very well-directed movie. Yeah, I can't really believe I was nine when I saw that in the theaters, but I did, and it was excellent. That's good enough for me. All right. Um, I'm going to go blame it on Rio. (laughs) I hesitate hesitate to do this (laughs) for a number of reasons, (laughs) but let's talk about it. Have you seen the movie? Um, uh, not since it came out in the theaters. <laughs> so Believe It on Rio comes out in, wow, 84. Okay. I was going to say 85. So yeah, probably. And just, it's a movie that could never be made today. And that's, what's kind of crazy <laughs> about it for me, because you, know, when you think about the, the era that we had grown up in, there were things that had become taboo that you couldn't do anymore. And so like we were aware that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't call people the N word anymore. I mean, we were being mm-hmm. raised in a more civilized culture. The things like that couldn't happen, but blame it on Rio. That's probably a terrible way to frame this, but <laughs> blame it on Rio is a teen sex comedy starring Michael Caine. <laughs> what? there was pretty much only two reasons to go see blame it on rio and that was the breasts of this young lady named michelle johnson that's what the movie was known for there was this big backstory with the movie she was only 17 when she made the movie her parents had to sign a release so that she could be in the movie and actually take her top off and that was kind of the legacy that you know has, has haunted the picture uh, and it's it's 
two adults. There's Michael Caine and the classic character actor Joe Bologna. <laughs> and their daughters. Michael Caine's daughter, played by Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. Joe Bologna's daughter, played by Michelle Johnson. And they end up going on this vacation to Rio. It's supposed to be the families, but, you know, complex series of events and romantic problems between the spouses. It's the dads and their daughters. Well, Michael Caine ends up carrying on an affair with the teenage daughter of Joe Bologna. No freaking way in hell this movie would be made today. Oh, hell no. I mean, Michael Caine's already in his 40s at the time this movie is made. (laughs) And he's supposed to be carrying on with... Even though Michelle Johnson was 17, I think her character is supposed to be 16. It's just, it's so inappropriate. <laughs> it is so inappropriate. It, it's so easy to understand why this is a movie that people would rather forget. Yeah, but it is still remembered, though. I mean. So we take all that away. Let's take away the creepy factor. Let's take away the inappropriate <laughs> factor. If, if you're able to do that, and I completely understand if you can't. It's a good movie. <laughs> It's an entertaining movie. It's a funny movie. It's uh, it was written by Larry Gelbart, who really is no slouch. Yeah, it's not like this was slapped together by a bunch of hacks who just wanted to see a teenage girl naked. Although there was probably a certain component. Of that. I always wondered if maybe it was based on uh, a foreign film because I think that you know the subject matter seems like it would be more um, uh, acceptable in a European format. Well, thank you for throwing me that lifeline. I would agree with you it does, but I really don't think <laughs> I don't think it was. So if 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 anything that I have just said, if you can if it's not making you feel skeevy, <clears throat> which I can't imagine that it's not making you feel skeevy. Uh, I really recommend that people go see a movie where Michael Caine has an affair with a 16-year-old girl. What the hell is my problem? <laughs> well, you know, to me there's there's some things it's interesting to see from a cultural aspect where people's heads were. Uh, I always, first time I ever saw um, It's a Wonderful Life, there's a scene where they put the, the they, uh, they're coming out of, crap, now I can't remember, what's the the, the, the main Falls? character's oh, name? Oh, George Bailey. George Bailey. Out of, I think it was coming out from George's house. The, the town drunk, they put him in a car, even though he's hammered and can barely walk. <laughs> and they just put him in the car and then let him go. And you're like, that is a period of the time. There's no fucking way you'd put that in a movie now. <laughs> you know, and this is another one of those things where it's of the, it's of the time where at some point people said, oh, 40-year-old, 60-year-old, okay, sure, go ahead. Put that in a movie. Make it a major hit. Put Michael Caine on there. Okay, sure. I'm kind of interested as to what we're seeing now, that 20 years from now, people are going to go, how the fuck did you put that in a movie? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just, it, it really messes with your head now, especially if, if I'm, you know, if I'm talking to people who haven't seen it and who are considering seeing it, although probably not. <laughs> it messes with your head now as you sit there and you watch it and it's, it, it's an enjoyable movie and it's a funny movie and it's a well-written movie. Uh, but then that skeeve factor. Yeah. Uh, and it's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's not some kind of a dark drama. Uh, the point of the film is not how the girl is emotionally scarred by the experience or how Michael Caine is some kind of a creepy predator. 
It's all. It's very lighthearted. So it is. It's. It's a lot to take, and I probably should have just not talked about it. Save me, Nick. Johnny Dangerously. Oh, yes. 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 I take it you've seen that one. Repeatedly. This is... uh, Anybody ever tell you your last name's an adverb? (laughs) (laughs) My mother did that to me once. Once. Yes, and uh, Elf and Titus of the Nuts. Yes. yes, there's yes. This is a this is a ESS enlarged scrotum <laughs> syndrome. Ah, <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. Um, um, Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo is the uh, is the bad brother, and I can't remember who the good brother is, but there are two brothers who grow up. He returns to a life of crime in the twenties. Well, 30s, Johnny 40s. Dangerously is played by right. uh, uh, is played by Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. His Sorry, brother is go. actually Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn. That's something. Uh, Piscopo plays Danny Vermin, <clears throat> who is a member of a rival gang. Or yes. and yeah, so that's kind of the. So Michael Keaton Griffin, is Griffin Dunn's a lawyer. Griffin Dunn is. Uh, Johnny Dangerously's brother, played by Griffin Dunn, is a lawyer and lives a straight life. Johnny Dangerously is a mobster. Right. But a fun mobster. <laughs> exactly. But a fun. He has to have fun. You know, it's, but it's, it's in the, I'm sorry, not 20s, more like 40s. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the. Definitely, yeah, 30s, 40s, somewhere in there. Okay. And so, you know, an era piece and he's the bad one and, but he's trying to do it for a good reason. He's trying to help his mom and. His brother's the lawyer who becomes the DEA and who tries to uh, take him down. But doesn't know he's trying to and, take him down. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Piscopo is the bad guy who's trying to mess him up. And, but all done with r- really wacky humor and a lot of it that's very reminiscent of, like, the airplane style of humor. That's what I was going to say is I don't think the the Zucker brothers had something to do with this, but it was really that style of a whole bunch of sight gags going on, lots of stuff in the background, lots of things that, you know, you can watch it multiple times and see different things going on. And yeah. Yeah, it is a... It, yeah, it's not a, a Zucker production, but definitely has... Someone must have been influenced by them. Or, heavily, yes. Yeah. So, excellent, excellent 80s comedy. And perhaps um, one of uh, classic period Michael Keaton's most underrated films, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yes, very true. Because he was he was a fairly big star at that point. I mean, it was post Mister Mom, and that's pretty much put him on the map. Uh, but it's one that's not really talked about all that much, and it's not very well remembered. But it's uh, yeah, I don't know why. Cause, boy, it's funny really, movie. Just a, really good. yeah, good time, good time, excellent choice, Nick. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm going to go with Fletch, and I hesitated putting this one on there because to the people that know Fletch. It's not underrated, <laughs> but I just never feel I feel like it never got its due. I mean, to this day, people say that Chevy Chase's best movie is Vacation. Vacation's a great movie. Yeah. I like Vacation, but it's not his best movie. And Clark Griswold is not his best role. Yeah. He was born to play this character. Absolutely. And so the movie Fletch, it's another one of those one-liner fests. There are, to this day, I catch myself <laughs> saying things that I realize I picked up from that movie. 
it's it's just insane. In fact, last night as I was thinking about this, they're all coming to my you know they're all coming to my head. Like, uh, can I borrow your towel? My car just hit a water buffalo. I'll think of Bloody Mary, a steak sandwich, and a steak sandwich. Put it on the Underhills bill. Uh, using the whole fist dock. Everything's ball bearings these days. John Cocteau Stan. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, classic. And he was great at playing all the different. You know, he would he. What's the, the story of it? Uh, the story of it is that uh, Fletch is actually a newspaper reporter in Los Angeles, and he's trying to do a story on uh, the influx of drugs on the beach, and so he's posing as a drifter. Meanwhile, while he's on under his cover as a drifter, a, a millionaire played by uh, Tim Matheson uh, says uh, approaches him with this deal and says, I've got terminal cancer. Uh, and my life insurance policy precludes suicide, but I don't want to die a slow, painful death. So I will pay you if you kill me, and then my life insurance policy will kick in and will take care of my wife. Will you do this for me? So he agrees to do it, but meanwhile he's suspicious, and so he starts investigating what the story is with this aviation executive played by Tim Matheson, and that's kind of how the story unfolds. And he's an undercover guy, so he's constantly changing you know putting on different outfits accents and all these kind of things and being uh and i think that to me was you know one of the things where he was really you know uh griswold is interesting but kind of a one-note character and here he's just able to be everything you know he really gets to stretch as you know uh, as a comedic performer in doing so many different types of things and fletch is cool clark griswold is he's not, a dork. Is not, yeah, he's, he's a dork. I and mean, he's a very well-played dork, but yeah. you know, Fletch is just, I mean, he's just one of those characters where he's got a... Chevy's a smart asshole. Mm-hmm. And he, he, you know, in real life, it seems yes. like. And I think he plays that character like himself in this, and it really opens him up to do stuff. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree. So it's just, it's what a freewheeling good time. Now, what do you think of Fletch, too? Fletch lives. Um... <laughs> I will say this. It's better than I remembered. Hmm. I actually just watched it within the last couple of years. And it is not the shit stain on the legacy of Fletch that I thought it was. Uh, I would say in terms of sequels, it is... Is it better than Beverly Hills Cop 2? It is better. That's probably a good comparison. I was going to say it's it's probably better than Ghostbusters too. Mm, yeah, um, and probably on par with Beverly Hills Cop too. That's another one that I watched just recently. That's one because uh, just kind of as a side note, Beverly Hills Cop is one of my favorite movies of all time. Which I know I share that with like two hundred million people, but oh yeah. well. Uh, and and I was so deeply offended by Beverly Hills Cop 2. I saw it once in the 80s and never watched it again because I'm like, what have you done to my franchise? And that's another one that was played on HBO a few months ago, and I watched it again, and it wasn't as bad as I remembered. Yeah, so, I, I liked it. I, I've softened my stance on, on Beverly Hills Cop 2 a little bit. Who directed Beverly Hills Cop 2? Was that Rennie Harlan? Hmm. Because to me it was it was much more action than comedy. Crap! I, I mean, I know it was a Simpson Bruckheimer thing, but I don't know, I don't know who directed it. Hmm. I'm probably going to remember as soon as we <laughs> stop recording. I can Google. Um, 
So yeah, I would, it's it's better than Ghostbusters too. Ghostbusters too. I remembered liking the first time I watched it. I watched it again a few years ago, and I was like, "What is this garbage?" <laughs> so, yeah, I, I remember Ghostbusters two. I was kind of, oh, it's okay, but Ghostbusters one is so excellent. It's kind of tough to top that. Yeah. Um, I would go with. <laughs> Xanadu. <laughs> you're, a, you're a brave man. I, I, I love this movie. Um, this is an, uh, came out in what, like 82? I think it may even come out like in 80. So, 80, gosh. So I would have been eight. <laughs> um, it's like roller skating in heaven, right? Oh, it, it's the the story is, and and I, as I was actually researching this and thinking of the storyline, I will point out that on all these years and all the many times I've seen this thing, I never qu- uh, quite realized this. But the storyline is that Sonny is a uh, an artist who tried to strike out on his own but failed, so he's back doing album covers where they would recreate an album cover on like a mural on the side of a building or, you know, in a record store for a poster or something. So that's what his money paying gig is. And he, uh, sees a girl named Kira and keeps running into her one day. And she is a mythological muse who is inspired, who, who flies by, inspires artists to be creative and then flies on again. So, uh, <laughs> she's there to inspire him and, uh, he meets up with, uh, Danny McGuire, who is played by, oh God, um, wow. How can I blank on his name? The, um, not Fred Astaire. Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly. Wow. Um, who at the time, this was the last role, uh, Gene did. Before he died, but he was... Uh, I'm singing in the grave. Just <laughs> singing in the grave. <laughs> but he was a song and dance man and uh, singing in the rain, uh, American in Paris, um, all sorts of wonderful things. And uh, at the time, you know, it, the story is, is that Danny was inspired by the exact same woman years ago. And so they get together to... <laughs> To open a disco 80s dance club. <laughs> and I, I I always wondered, you know, uh, Gene Kelly, uh, his character Danny McGuire was, was inspired to become a musician. And, you know, it, it in the movie it kind of shows you like like the Glenn, uh, Glenn something orchestra. The... Oh, Nick, we're going to feel like such idiots when we go, of course. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. The Count Basie Orchestra, whatever, something like that. So it inspired him to have this, you know, fake but, you know, uh, storied career like uh, like he was this huge band director and did tons of albums and all that kind of stuff. And she inspired Sonny to open a club with roller skating. <laughs> really? That was the best thing your muse could do? I mean, <laughs> where, where, you know. I love the movie, but that a suck ass muse. <laughs> Maybe because he was such a slacker, that was like a major accomplishment. <laughs> but it had Olivia Newton John playing Kira, and it had uh, Electric Light or- Orchestra. ELO. Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller. Thank Jeez, you. Louise wow. Is gonna drive me crazy. 
I mean, he's like one of the most legendary American musicians of all time. I would feel like such a turd if I'd forgotten his name. The great thing is, is there probably aren't a lot of people who would be screaming that into their iPod going, you fucker, it's Glenn Miller. <laughs> people are going, who? Um, <laughs> Sorry, please. <laughs> but the, the, the uh, ELO uh, and, and Olivia Newton-John both do songs for the soundtrack. Uh, Don't Walk Away is a phenomenally good song, but... Also, uh, in uh, the history of the this movie, was the first job for Don Bluth, the Disney animator who left and started his own company. They did a um, basically a music video in the middle of this thing, where the main characters are turned into animated characters, and it was animated by Don Bluth. He later did an American Tale, Secret of Nim, Secret of Nim, Dragon's and Lair, Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair. So the the Don Bluth style of animation, uh, kind of Pete's Dragon would probably you know from the mm-hmm. Disney the Disney era, but Don Bluth's animation has is very identifiable. And so if you remember Absolutely. the video game Dragon's Lair, uh, that is definitely Bluth style, that very classic hand drawn two uh, D kind of a thing. And something I read said that uh, this animation, in a way, reanimated Disney. Because in the thing, it's um, it relies on a in, a in a very you know music video style three minute time limit. You uh, tell a story of love and of princesses and uh, love loss and princesses, and you know they kind of equated to that as that was kind of a characterization of early Disney films, and this piece, from what I read was, you know, kind of something that Disney had got away from and which Don Bluth wanted to do. And even though Don Bluth, after this, didn't take that style with him, that that Disney style of love, loss, and princesses, Disney went back to it. Mm-hmm. And they went back to this thing where they did, you know, love, loss, and princesses and music. And so... Whether or not it's true, it is an interesting thing where, you know, maybe this weird little uh, 80s rock music, uh, pop rock musical inspired Disney to go back to its roots. And a legend was born. (laughs) Yeah, Xanadu is pretty much better remembered, I think, for its soundtrack. Oh, yeah. But it is one of those cult movies that a lot of people love. Although, uh, Nick, usually it's girls. <laughs> but that's well, okay. I, well, you know what? When I was a kid, and you know, I'm eight or nine years old, and I find out who Gene Kelly is, and I find out from that what he used to do, and I wanted to be Gene Kelly when I grew up. I would love to have been a song and dance man from the 60s. <laughs> I mean, I think he had a great career. He was a great actor. He could sing. He could dance. He was, you know... Manly, but incredibly artistic and talented. And I thought he was an inspiration to me at eight years old. And that's, that's another point that we'll probably end up uh, talking about on, a, on a, a different show in the future, but is how, <clears throat> with our generation, uh, they did a lot better job of blending um, things that were aimed toward the youth, but while still honoring the artists of the past, which I don't see happening as much these days it's always got to be flavor of the minute flavor of the minute flavor of the minute and unless you're elton john they don't give a shit about you <laughs> if you didn't have a hit last week yeah. and it's very irritating 
Mannequin. <laughs> Excellent. God, I haven't seen that in forever. This is just one of those total fantasy movies. Uh, no basis in reality. I mean, just you. Somebody could walk in here right now and pick it apart and tell me why it's a piece of crap, and I would go, "Yes, you're right," and I love it anyway. <laughs> It's just one of those guilty pleasure movies. I saw it in its original theater run, and it captivated me, and it it got me. You know, I'm infected with the mannequin virus. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just am. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, Andrew McCarthy plays a guy who apparently makes his living painting faces on mannequins, which. Nobody makes their living doing that. And one of his favorite mannequins somehow gets embodied with the spirit of an Egyptian princess played by Kim Cattrall. And so she comes to life when no one else is around. And Meshach Taylor's in there. And he gets a job at a department store. And because of her being his creative muse, starts creating all of these fabulous uh, window displays. And the store starts to thrive. And then there's you know the the villain with uh, the rival department store, and it's it's all very ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> there's a night watchman played by one of the guys from the uh, uh, police academy movies who has his bulldog who thinks there's something <laughs> wrong with the Andrew McCarthy character. And his oh, he was the chief, wasn't he? Could be. And Meshach Taylor is. Hollywood Montrose, and he's another very flamboyant, <laughs> so very flamboyant uh, designer with the, the window. I mean, does a department store really employ two guys to design window display? I mean, it's just no. Yes, it's a dumbass movie, but it's just it's just fun with the chaos that ensues with this guy falling in love with his mannequin who only comes to life when he's around. It's and all that and a starship song. Yes. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop us now. So that's my big Barbie Dreamhouse movie. <laughs> Put that, that right I, back with, her, my, with my Xanadu yes, movie. So if you've got Xanadu, <laughs> I've got Mannequin. And that, uh, uh, that pretty much does it for my list. I have one more. All right, good. Let's, let's, let's get off of this then. Let's end with something manly. I got that qualified. Conan the Barbarian. Oh, my God. <laughs> Never seen it. Really? Don't really want to see it. I love this movie. I own this movie. I have it in my Netflix queue. I watched it again before I went and saw the remake Conan. <laughs> I love Conan. Again, Apparently. Uh, so this is uh, Schwarzenegger's uh, first movie where they didn't dub his voice. It was basically his first movie. He did that with that Hercules in New York. But yeah. Let's not count that. So this is his first real movie. Yes, and it is it is violent. It is gory. It has lots of nudity. And it came out in what, like 80, 81, 82? Okay, I think 82. Okay, so good. So I was 10 when I saw it. My parents didn't mind showing us R-rated movies when I was a kid. Which, Apparently not. Which didn't wasn't all that uncomfortable until we went and saw Blue Lagoon. That was a bit weird. <laughs> um, but I remember seeing uh, the original Alien, which I think was 78. 78, 79. So, you know what, I'm 
<laughs> I, I went to the theater and I remember hiding behind the seat in front of me, standing up and hiding behind it. So that's how small I was. <laughs> Still fun though. But uh, this one, uh, it, he is a, uh, he's the last of his race, a Sumerian barbarian warrior. And um, basically he's going to uh, kill the people who killed his family. Simple as that, and he's, you know, big, muscular, badass, swings a badass sword, kicks ass, takes names, fucks chicks. And there's your movie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and it's basically, you know, uh, the, uh, obviously since then I've read a bunch of the uh, uh, comic books. There's a, uh, a lot of uh, stories written by, um, oh, jeez. I was going to say Ed Rice Burroughs, but that's the wrong one. Uh, uh, Robert Howard. Um, and uh, there's a whole lore behind uh, him and where he lives and the, the, the city and the towns and the, the world that he's in. And uh, as a kid who grew up reading comic books, I, would, I owned you know some Conan comic books. And um, as an older adult, they uh, reissued a bunch of... Uh, they had a Conan uh, magazine, you know, like a actually, you know, lo- oversized magazine type thing where they would put Conan things in there and they reissued them. So I've been buying collections of those things. And I just love the fantasy um, and mythology. They kind of weaved our own fantasy and mythology tales in there for um, um, gods and all that kind of things into his world. So it's it's great tales of sword and sorcery and he's kind of a dick (laughs) and kind of a womanizer but you know he always kind of has a heart in the right place so he's kind of like a a dick with a heart of gold um let me guess the remake not so much i really enjoyed the remake Um, was he the same kind of uh he was still kind of a dick yeah Um, still a womanizer not as much i I think that's with the thing but he was kind of uh kind of a dick to this girl at the beginning but then you can kind of see where you know, they can they soften up just a little bit. But so it was Thundar the Barbarian. Thundar the Barbarian, <laughs> the cartoon was that kind of blending um, uh, Conan and Star Wars. Is that where they got that, or is it just name alone? And how'd they not get sued? That's a really good question, but I can't remember uh, other than the name. I don't think I saw it since the eighties, so okay, I, I, I don't even remember. And then Conan the Destroyer. Uh, the sequel was that any good? Mm, when I saw it in the in the theaters, I enjoyed it. Since then, not really. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was kind of Conan light, wasn't it? They'd really because at that point, Schwarzenegger. Well, now was, he actually was Schwarzenegger, so there were probably certain things he did not want to do to affect his image. Plus, the times had changed a little bit. I mean, is that? I think it was just um, when. Conan, apparently, from what I read, the first one, they'd been trying to get it made for a while. They had a, they had Charles Bronson attached to it for a while. Oh, my God. Nobody, which I can't fucking see Who wants to see him in a loincloth? Apparently, the thing that I read referenced a movie that he was in that I have never heard of, and that was from seeing him in that. They said, oh, well, he, he could do this. I have no idea what that would be. Um yeah, I don't see that. So, so it, you know, it, it happened for a while, and they had obviously must have gone through kind of 
writes and rewrites. And I think the movie itself was just a better uh, thing where they could just sort of, there was no expectation for it. Mm -hmm. So they could be over the top with the violence and the sex and no one, you know, would have stopped them. I mean, it was De Lune De Laurentiis, which no one really thinks, oh, high art. Mm. Um, so by the time the sequel came out and, you know, Schwarzenegger was a name, now there was expectations, now there was, you know, talent, now there was Schwarzenegger. I mean, it, it just sort of failed, you know, by trying to trying to recreate what the other one was but now actually having a budget and now actually having 27 people thinking they should tell you what to do, it just sort of seemed like a mess. Now, what was the female version? Oh, Red Sonia. Was that with Brigitte Nielsen? Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Was that any good? She looked great in the outfit. Really? (laughs) It was not that good, but I've seen it multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) So we're basically going to end the show the way we began it, with you watching a movie with your pants off. I, I do not. No, I, I I do not watch it with pa- with pants off, but I will say I enjoy Brigitte Nielsen from then. I, I since she went on to the whole reality thing, and you know, I, I always thought she looked like a dude. I I think she looked great in in Red Sonia and in uh, Beverly Hills Cop too. Really? Yeah. Well, that's, so yeah, that, there, there's a wonderful thing to end on. <laughs> you had a really good list. That was uh, that was an excellent list. Uh, oh, you know what? I had one other one that I I couldn't find information on. Yeah, but I figured I'd just see if you remember it. Looker. No. It was uh, I, I I can I barely even remember the thing. I remember seeing it a bunch when it came out. Um, there was some sort of plot about like uh, supermodels that get killed. Who was in it? I have no idea. I really, really I need to, I, I, I didn't find anything in my original research and uh, I, I need to dig deeper on it. Was this one of those things you saw a lot on cable or something? Yeah, it was played a lot on cable and I figured that maybe, you know, you might have seen it on cable. Have not. There was some sort of a murder mystery and I remember the, the first sequence is that like some girl was, uh, waiting for someone and she was just floating around in negligee and there, there was a breeze blowing through this apartment and it was blowing the curtains that were white and shimmery and they sneak up behind her and shove her out the window and she falls and smashes into the car and you know, she could, I think maybe gets caught up in the, uh, drapes and, and there was some sort of, it was very, I remember a very, very eighties soundtrack. So it was definitely, <laughs> you know, like an earlier eighties type movie. So. Even the title sounds like an earlier '80s kind of a <laughs> kind of a movie. Well, that's our list then of uh, underrated movies from the '80s. You know, movies that you don't hear about uh, every day in the conversation. Movies that that came from that era, because like any decade, uh, there's a lot of good stuff that uh, there just isn't room apparently to enter the pantheon, and they get a little lost in the shuffle. So yeah, find them, enjoy them. Did we miss one? Did we forget your favorite movie? By all means, let us know about it. We've got the Facebook page. It's Mr. 80s, M-I-S-T-E-R 80S. You can also contact us by typing in the same configuration of letters and numbers at rocketmail.com, Mr. 80s at rocketmail.com. And visit the blog, Mr. 80s.wordpress.com. Any final words, Nick? Go Browns. <laughs> 
<laughs> and with that, good night, Michael Norrie, wherever you are. <laughs>